Well, hey, good morning, church. How are we doing today? It's good to be with you. Uh, if you're new with us, my name is Joe Polino, and I serve as the lead pastor here. just want to welcome you to church. Uh, it's just a joy to get to be a part of this church family and uh, get, to, get to gather together and worship with you. Um, if you were here last week, I shared a family milestone that we celebrated in our house was that our youngest son, Bo, turned one. And so that was a illustration I tied into our message, yeah. And so I have another family milestone for you, okay? So this week, I have a different one. I don't know if there's gonna be one next week. I feel like if I keep preaching this way, I'm gonna share my social security number with you accidentally. But that's just preaching for my life, just given what I feel like God's given to us um, as I'm studying these scriptures. And so the milestone this week is that our oldest daughter, Ellis, is heading into first grade. And this is our first time for her to actually uh, go into any elementary school setting. So it felt like a big deal. So on Friday, this is a picture of me walking with her to go meet the teacher. And so she starts school tomorrow and it just felt like this, this big moment. And I could tell she was nervous, excited. And so I reached out and I grabbed her hand and, and we walked towards the school together. My, my wife took this picture as we were going to support her as a family. Um, and it was a big moment for Ellis, but it also was a big moment for me because I felt a little nervous, excited, joyful, grateful, and also a little protective. Uh, on the group family text, someone zoomed in on my face and I was completely mean mugging. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I was looking at any other like elementary school boys or just like, don't even think about it. But it was like, you know, I think that it did... Uh, I think that was totally an accident, but it, it, uh, I did have this sense of, I just want Ellis to know that we support her and she's not alone. That we as a family are here. It's gonna be a great year. It's gonna be awesome, but we're with you. We're with you. And as I was looking at this passage, you know, even in my imperfect parenting and my imperfect love, I believe in this as a picture of what God desires for us. Not the, not the mean mugging face, but maybe the other one of us walking hand in hand. I believe this is a picture of what God wants us to know. No one really wants to go through life alone. We all want to know that we have friends that are gonna be there to have our back. We don't wanna go into new situations, new experiences, new jobs, new locations on our own, right? Like we're made to walk with one another and we're made to walk with God. I love how St. Augustine says it this way, he says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. It's like this sense of, Lord, I'm made to walk with you. I'm made to be with you. And, and if I feel there's any distance or if I don't have that, then it's, my heart is restless, right? And in preparing for this message, you know, I kept thinking about that moment of walking with my daughter, Ellis, and wondering just if God has something here for us as a church, because really at the heart of Ephesians 4, which we're about to read, it's helping us to walk in loving union with God and in loving union with one another in practical everyday ways. That's what Ephesians 4 is about. And so we today are gonna learn how to walk with Jesus. I'm calling this talk, Learning to Walk with Jesus Part 2, because we're picking up with Part 1 from last week. So last week, we focused on learning to walk with Jesus in the area of honesty, anger, and work, because that's just the examples that were from Scripture. 
How do we walk in honesty, anger, and work? And today, if you're taking notes, we're going to learn to walk with Jesus in the area of speech, relationship with the Holy Spirit, and forgiveness. Okay? So we're going to learn to walk with Jesus together in the area of speech, relationship with the Holy Spirit, and forgiveness. So you guys ready to learn? Okay. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 22 and read 10 verses together just to give us context, but we're really going to focus in on the last part, okay? So Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 32, it'll also be up on your screens if you want to follow along, on the screens if you want to follow along. And so it says, beginning in verse 22, it says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So Father, we do pray, God, would you uh, help us, God, to learn from your word. Holy Spirit, would you come and be our teacher? Would you get me out of the way? God, would you come and you speak to people from your word so that we can learn to walk with you? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so point number one, learning to walk with Jesus in our speech. But first, I want to go to verse 22 through 23, and then we'll go to the speech because I think it's important to get context. It says in verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And I just wanted to highlight two things. I did this last week, but to say it again, The very first part of this verse says, you were taught. So there is something that happens whenever we come to believe in Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter three, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I tell you to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. You must be born again. So the Israelites thought the kingdom of God that the Messiah was going to come and bring was one of political nature. It was resurging of the Israelite nation. And what Jesus came to bring was, first and foremost, to bring to a spiritually dead people that they would be born again to life with a relationship with God. That was why he came. So you must be born again because we're spiritually dead in our sin. And then he, uh, when we hear about the gospel and we learn about what Jesus did on the cross and we believe, says that we are made new, we're new creations. So now that we're new creations, though, there's a learning process. That's not the end of the story. That's the beginning. 
So what we get after verse 22 is there are six examples that the scripture gives us of how do we actually live the Christian life? How do we walk out this new identity? And so last week, it says you must put off falsehood, put on speaking truthfully. Why? You must do that because we are members of one another. Then it says we need to put off anger where we have bitterness. Do not let the sun go down so we keep short accounts. Why? You don't get the devil the foothold. And then it says we must stop stealing and put on honest work. Why? So that we can give. So Paul is giving very practical examples of put off this, put on this, and here's the heart behind it. So we're going to go through the three that we have here, which starts in verse 29, which says, do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So he's talking about our speech. So what does this mean? What is unwholesome talk? What is unwholesome talk? Well, the Greek word there for unwholesome is sapros. Say it with me, sapros. Sapros, okay. So it means unwholesome. It means rotten, corrupted, no longer fit for use, okay? So that's what it means, unwholesome. It means that it's rotten. So you think of like a bad fruit or a bad apple. It's, it's, it's ripe, it's overly ripe, it's moldy, it's corrupted. If you were to eat it, it would make your stomach turn. And as I was studying this, I, I was reminded of a, of a saying of a bad apple spoils the barrel or a bad apple spoils the bunch. Have anyone ever heard that saying before? Okay. I was wondering, like, why do they call people a bad apple? Oh, it's because a bad apple will actually spoil other apples. And I was like, is that really true? And so uh, thank you, internet, for confirming it is really true. Uh, when an apple is overripe or rotten, it releases ethylene gas, which then stimulates other apples around it, generating more ethylene gas, which sets off a chain reaction of over-ripening in the entire bunch or barrel of apples. So it literally corrupts the entire bunch. You have to take the rotten apple out. And our speech is like this, church. Unwholesome talk can cause a chain reaction actually leading to corruption and division among others. We need to get rid of it. Do not let any unwholesome, rotten talk come out of our mouths, okay? Now this, you know, okay, help me narrow in a little bit because there's a lot to talk about. Well, let's just focus in on Ephesians 4 again because it says, okay, church, in light of your new identity, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling Christ has given you. And how do we walk in a manner worthy of Jesus? Well, Ephesians 4, 3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So if you're like, hey, how do I, okay, Jesus, how do I yield my life to you? What pleases you? Make every effort to keep unity in the body. And so part of this is really important is that there is speech that can be rotten that actually divides the body. It brings division, it brings disunity. What are examples of this? I just listed off a few. What are types of unwholesome talk that we don't want to come out of our mouths? One is gossip. Gossip is when we speak poorly about others when they are not around and often not only speaking about them, but we never actually directly talk to them. Okay, that's gossip. It, it, 
Don't let it come out of your mouth. There's slander. When we speak to malign someone's character in front of others, that's slander. If you think about uh, a, a cartoon artist that does a character of someone, I don't know if you've ever been to the Texas State Fair and have a character done. It's kind of an interesting experience because what they do is they pick one you know, attribute of your physical appearance and they exaggerate it, you know? And so maybe it's like one flaw or one thing or one, you know, mole or one, you know, oh, your ears are too big and they make it really huge and everyone laughs at it like, ha, 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 you know, but that's not really funny to the person who, you know, oh, my teeth are huge or, you know, well, it's like, but that's what slander's like. You take one flaw, you take one incident and you blow it up for the whole world to see and then you dismiss that person as ugly or whatever and you do that with their character. That's not, that's not allowed in the kingdom of God. Amen? Okay, we don't want characters of people to slander them. Then there's just complaining. Complaining, grumbling or complaining can sour a moment, can quench the Holy Spirit and be a sign of unbelief. Now, the Psalms are full of laments. They're full of us expressing our, our, our emotions to God. That's not what I'm talking about, but we do need to watch for complaining or grumbling against God, right? Most of those Psalms are laments. In fact, almost all of them end with, but God, I trust in you. But God, I praise you. But God, I give you thanks. So we can't have unwholesome complaining come out of our mouths. And then the last one is just criticalness, which is just looking for the negative and focusing it on that part or person. It ruins the bunch. And I'm really bad at this, guys. Uh, I remember actually this was something that um, when I was a kid, I loved to play baseball, just loved the game. Uh, I loved hitting. And, but I was so critical of myself that if I got three hits out of four at bats, guess which at bat I would think about? It would be the one where I didn't get a hit. It was that one strikeout or that one error. And after time, this critical nature just ruined the game for me to where I just, I didn't want to play anymore. And I feel like that's what criticalness can happen. I mean, we want to be excellent in what we do, but we got to watch out. Because if we're critical in nature about the church or about other people, that's not going to bring about the glory of God. Okay? So we must put off this kind of speech that tears down then what's the kind of speech that we do want to put on? And I love how it's like, put this off and then put this on. So let's go back to verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So we want our speech simply to build others up and not tear them down. Not complicated. But why? so that those who hear it may benefit from them. And in the uh, ESV translation, it says, so those who hear it might receive grace. I just love that, that image of like, w- out of our mouths, we would be grace dispensers. Like as we talk, grace would be given to other people and would build them up, not tear them down. This is how we walk the way of Jesus together. This is what we're called to do. And so why does this matter? One, speech is a gift from God that I haven't really thought about until I was doing research on this passage. But if you think about it, our two-year-old likes this thing, Old MacDonald, how to farm. And he goes through all the farm animals, cows moo, dogs bark, ducks quack. I mean, name another one, just all the animals of the kingdom, they, 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 they communicate, but only humans speak. It's an attribute that's God-like. 
God speaks, and therefore we speak because we are his offspring. Amen? And so it's a gift. Speech is a gift. Speech is also powerful. These two Proverbs speak volumes. In Proverbs 18.21, it says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. In the tongue is the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. There's power in our words. There's power in our speech. And we can use that power to either tear down or to build up, to speak life or to speak death over people or situations. And we're called to speak life. The words of the reckless, it says in Proverbs 12, 18, pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So if there's a situation that requires our speech, where we need to speak life in a situation, we want to be like surgeons with a scalpel, not swords chopping up, you know, just reckless with our words. We want to be like surgeons. We want to be thoughtful. How can I give grace to this situation? How can I do that? It takes wisdom and discernment. That's what we're called to be. Let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only such that's good for building others up. So practically, what are some, how do we do this, church? How do we, how do, we do this? Well, I just thought of two examples I just want to give you. One is a really simple exhortation and encouragement to err on the side of encouragement with one another. That's not complicated, but it's something I just feel like needs to be said. Err on the side. When you see someone that you can honor, that you can encourage, even if it's not something they did, it's just like your presence here, man, I just, I'm really thankful for you. Uh, you are needed here. And you, you showing up and, you know, you serving in this way, it just, it makes my day. Do you know there's, there's nine negative thoughts to every one positive thought we have about ourselves? That's like the sinful nature within inside. And do you think God thinks that about you? No. So as the church, we need to speak grace because our Holy Father, the Holy Spirit is speaking through us. That's how we walk with him. We got to speak encouragement. So err on the side of encouragement. And sometimes I don't do that because I feel inauthentic in saying something. It's like, oh, that feels silly. They don't need to hear that. Or am I being a flatterer? Like by saying something that's so basic. And I just say like, err on the side of encouragement. <laughs> like, yeah, just speaking to myself, get out of your own head and just speak life, speak encouragement. So that's simple, simple encouragement. This one's a little bit deeper. How do we do this? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 32, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we wanna have unwholesome talk not come out of our mouths, we gotta check the source from where the water's coming right? We can't just like turn off the hose and try to, we have to get, are we coming from a wellspring in our hearts or is there, is there, is there bitterness? Is there sin? Is there unwholesomeness in the well? That's what Jesus is saying. So just a personal example of this. Um, so many times in my life, but especially in my Christian walk, I have had imaginary conversations with myself in an imaginary person about a conflict that I'm trying to play out in my head, right? So a lot of times this plays out in the shower where I receive, you know, just an email or there's someone that I'm at odds with or there's something I saw on social media that I'm just like, oh, there's something that gets me in a tailspin and I'll try to parse my words out and be like, oh, if I would have responded this way or if I say this, or I'm gonna approach them in this way and surely they can't, you know, deny me that. And I'm thinking through the techniques of my words. And, and sometimes that's helpful to think, 
to be thoughtful about how we're going to enter into a difficult conversation or we need wisdom. But so often what I've found is that it's not just a rightly worded email or a perfect response in the moment that is really the answer. It's, Lord, would you get my heart ready before I go talk with this person? It's just like, Lord, would you, would you show me, would you get the log out of my own eye before I go and try to take the speck out of my brother's? So would you give me compassion for this person? God, would you convict me of where I'm off? And just, and, and that is the work. And then oftentimes, even in difficult conversations, I might go in with one or two things, but honestly, I'm just like, just help my heart to be ready before I actually have this honest conversation with someone and speak the truth in love to give grace. So that's just practically, I don't know if anyone else has imaginary conversations with people. Hey, man, Let's just, I would just advise all of us to, when that happens, to stop doing that and start having a conversation with God about your heart. And we're all going to be in a better place. Okay. And then I want to give you a practical example because in the workplace or maybe in your family, you might be like, well, I'm not coming in with unwholesome talk, like on my lips, but it's all around me. How do I engage when the teacher's lounge is like a swirl of negativity? How, like when the, when the happy hour is all about unwholesome talk, like I either just don't go in there, but then how am I salt and light? Like Macy was saying, how am I doing that? And I just say, this is difficult, but God can help us. And I want to give uh, just an example. If we practice this with one another, it will be more natural in places that, uh, that it, it's, it's, it's uncommon. Um, I want to honor my friend and uh, family pastor, Donnie Tapey, for this example. This is before Donnie worked for the church. He worked at a company that sold medical instruments. Am I right? Medical devices, medical devices sure. Yeah. And um, it was a kind of uh, you, your salary's based on commission. And so it was, it was a a little bit of a rough environment, and they had happy hour. And I remember at one of these uh, kind of gatherings, as they're all talking, a lot of the men were bad-mouthing their wives in some way. So they were complaining about their wives. And uh, the boss actually noticed Donnie was being pretty quiet. And so Donnie gets called out in this circle. And it's like, well, Donnie, I noticed you're not talking about your wife. What's up with that? And so he's pressured to join in with this unwholesome talk. And, uh, and to paraphrase what Donnie said, he, I, I remember him telling me this. He said something along the lines of, well, you know, I, I just, I try not to speak poorly about my wife because I want to honor her with my speech because it actually helps me love her more and complain less. Yeah. He was just being honest. Like, it just doesn't help me when I do that. And it just put, like, the whole place got quiet. And actually, though, the boss, to his credit, said, man, I need to do that more. I feel like, I, and it changed the whole atmosphere. I don't know what happened after that, but it was just a great example of when we follow the way of Jesus, it's going to look different than the world. And I'm sure some guys probably didn't think, you know, but probably talked about Donnie behind his back or goody two shoes or whatever. Man, but when we walk with Jesus, people long for that. They long for the goodness of God. They long for the goodness of someone who would honor their wife. So let's, let's do that. Let's let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And so practically, this message, just Holy Spirit, is there any place that you want to convict us as a church or us as individuals where we're practicing unwholesome talk and help us to put that off?
and help us to put on speaking grace to one another. Amen? Okay, so that's point number one in speech. This next one is learning to walk with Jesus in relationship with the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay, so there's something new in this verse that Paul has had a pattern of saying, put off, put on, and here's why. And he doesn't do that with this verse. It almost seems like he just inserted it randomly, but I don't think it's random. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So it does give you a do not, but it doesn't follow the same pattern. And, but I think what God's wanting to communicate here is so many things, but the bottom line is this. Are you ready for this? What he wants to communicate here is that God loves you. The most basic level, God loves you. And the height, the width, the depth, the breadth of God's love, God's love, he wants you to know that he loves you. Okay? Because how, how do I know that? How do I know that from verse 30? Well, it said, God loves us so much that we need the indwelling Holy Spirit to show us his love. And that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on uh, certain people, prophets and kings for certain purposes. And sometimes it would even, it says it filled someone to give them the ability to create the Ark of the Covenant. But only after Jesus came and made a way for us to be reconciled does the Holy Spirit dwell within us. And so he dwells within us. And so how do we know that this is talking about the love of God, where it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Well, wait, if you're talking about love, how does grief come in? Well, if we only grieve when we love. If we don't love someone, we can dismiss them or be angry with them as an enemy, but we won't grieve them. Love is, love is, or grief is love and sorrow intermingled together. And I thought this was uh, worded better than I can say it by Charles Spurgeon when he wrote a sermon on this passage. Here's what he said. He said, there is something very touching in this admonition, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. It does not say, do not make him angry or more delicate, a more delicate and tender term is used, says, grieve him not. For grief is a sweet combination of anger and love. It is anger, but all the gall is taken from it. Love sweetens the anger and turns the edge of it, not against the person, but against the offense. There is anger at the sin or circumstances causing the separation, but not at the person. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God because he loves you and wants to walk with you. And there is an actual, there are emotions that are ascribed to God. He is love. He is slow to anger. He is full of mercy. He is full of justice. And he grieves because he wants us to be with him. It says, Jesus said that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We are the joy. It's his children. It's his bride. It's his church. He loves you. And so he's saying, beloved, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Put off things that would grieve him. But instead, what are things that he is doing to open our eyes that he's pulling us in 
to draw us closer. It's not about do's and don'ts and the legalism of like, oh, I didn't have my quiet time or didn't do this. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you and he wants to spend time with you. He wants to bless you with his presence. He wants to walk with you. He wants to put you in a community where you can experience his love. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit because he loves you, church. He loves you. He loves you. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And I love the second half of this verse also gives us security because it's interesting. Okay, so I can grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, that kind of scares me. I don't, I don't want to walk away from God. But it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So you can grieve him and you're also secure in him at the same time. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says this. I just want y'all to lean in here. It says this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the Holy Spirit. So when were you marked with the Holy Spirit? When you, say it again, when you believed, when you believed, you were marked in him with the Holy Spirit. The promise, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glorious grace. So if you believe in Jesus and trust in him, do you have the Holy Spirit? Yes, you do. You have the Holy Spirit. So he is a promise and the Holy Spirit is a seal. But this scripture says it's not just about the Holy Spirit being our security. He's also actually a person to walk with. And growing up in a Christian home, I'm so thankful for the biblical foundation I had. And we believed in the Holy Spirit because we saw about the security, but I did not know how to walk with him. In fact, I didn't know that was a thing. And later on in life, as I decided to follow Jesus again in college, I was surrounded by people who knew more about walking with the Holy Spirit than I did. And I can just tell you, it has been a journey and, and a process of learning this. And I just want to give you a few thoughts on what's been helpful to me on walking with this journey. Uh, number one um, is just being surrounded by people who love God and they love you and they're wanting to grow with the Holy Spirit. And so I got put, God, by God's grace, he put me into a life group, a place where um, that was the case. They really genuinely loved God. They really genuinely loved people. And they were trying to walk out in gifts of the Holy Spirit and walking with him. And so my very first life group, I'm there and we had snacks and, you know, we're talking about some silly icebreaker question and we're reading the Bible. And I was like, oh, this is a pretty, pretty good group. I think I'll come back. And then at the end of life group, uh, this girl that I did not know walks across the room with another guy and says, hey, I have a word to share with you. I was like, I have no idea what that means. Okay, uh, sure, yeah, I'll, 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 tell, I'll receive it. I'll, what do you have to say? And then she said, um, you know, I, I, just, I was praying and I felt like God highlighted you and I felt like this scripture came to mind and that God wanted you to know this. And it was a, it was a scripture about faith and that God wanted me to, to receive the gift of faith. And I'm listening, but the whole time I just have this red flag popping up in the back of my head, like, okay, so you hear from God? 
Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nod. I'm not going to make any sudden movements, and then I'm going to walk out the door. This is nuts. This is crazy because I was such a Word of God guy. I'm like, there is no uh, revelation outside of this. We don't need it. But she loved me really well. She pointed to the Scripture, and you know what? Like, the Holy Spirit kind of kept me from bolting, and I decided to come back because these people really seem genuine. They love me. And what I learned over time as they walked me through God's word is seeing how the Holy Spirit moved in the early church and moved in the New Testament through the Holy Spirit in, in sometimes unexpected ways. And there was actually a, a process of God breathing through the apostles and breathing through the church that he's still doing today. It doesn't mean that it's new scripture, but it means that we are a dwelling place for the Lord. And, and it says in scripture to pursue love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy in 1 Corinthians 14.1. And so that has just been really helpful to be surrounded in a place where there is love first and foremost for God, love for one another, and that there's opportunity to grow and learn. Okay, you guys tracking with me? You guys still good? Okay, I'll speed up here. Another thing I would just say on this is, is uh in God's word and in prayer are the main places that I've heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. Uh, that's just my own personal journey. I'd love to talk with you more on that. But the last thing I'll say is just in the area of walking with the Holy Spirit is that sometimes this involves a risk. And I just want to share a story I heard this past week that involves teachers that, man, I just felt like it was the opposite of the Holy Spirit being grieved. It was the Holy Spirit being attracted to this action. And what happened was on Friday, uh, a teacher was describing that after their assembly with the teachers getting ready for the first day, um, a teacher gave an invitation to the group. I said, hey, if anyone wants to stay after, uh, and I'm going to walk the halls and pray uh, for our school and pray for our students. Um, if anyone wants to join me, they're welcome. Very humble, very simple invitation. Well, about 15 people joined this man. And as they were walking the halls, the people were just weeping. It was like, not weeping, but they were, they were tearing up, you know? They were crying. Like, there was, something, there was something special in that moment as they were doing it. And the principal actually joined them. And so they laid hands on the principal. And as this teacher is describing it to me, I'm getting emotional, just kind of picturing this scene. And I was like, I'm not emotional for no reason. I feel like the Holy Spirit is like on that. <laughs> And like they say it's attracted, there's the attraction of the Lord, like someone being bold and making an invitation. And then there being humility around say, we're going to pray. I don't know what we're going to do with, you know, this is a title one school. We don't have all the answers, all the funding, but we're going to pray and Holy Spirit come and have your way. And it was just like, whew. And so I just say, let's not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but instead, where are places that you sense, well, the Holy Spirit is attracted to that. The Holy Spirit's leading us to that and to kind of sit there and just recognize, I'm not just getting emotional because, you know, I'm Italian or whatever. I am. Hey, the Holy Spirit's doing something in our hearts, right? Okay. All right. Number three, last point. We want to learn to walk with Jesus in forgiveness. In verse 31, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. 
So what does this mean? Well, there are six descriptions of things that bring division and destruction to relationships here that we need to get rid of. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every form of malice. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. But these emotions don't show up for no reason, right? When we are bitter or angry with someone, it's because we feel like we've been wronged or, or it's because we have been wronged. There is a sin done or an injustice done. There's a debt that needs to be paid. And these six descriptions are ways the world, the world tries to make others pay for their sins. This is not the way that we are to walk with Jesus. We're to get rid of it. Jesus' teaching on forgiveness is one of the most important ones. He spends more time on forgiveness than many of his other teachings. It's also complex at times and misunderstood in churches. And so I'm not going to be able to do a deep dive, but I just want to say a few things of what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not as we close. Forgiveness is releasing someone from a debt they owe you. Forgiveness is both a choice and a process of healing. So if you think about it, if you get surgery on your knee, say you tear your ACL and the surgery was successful, are you healed? Well, technically, yes, my ACL is intact, but can you run? Well, no, it needs time. You need PT, you need training. So you can forgive, yes, it's healed, the surgery's done, and it's a process of healing. It's a process of forgiving, okay? So that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness is not the same as extending trust. Forgiveness is not the same as excusing, it is not excusing or diminishing the sin that's done. Okay? So how in the world do we do this? How do we put off all of these six emotions of bitterness, rage, anger, every form of malice, and how do we put on forgiveness? Well, simply put, what I want to put before us is that we need to look at how we've been forgiven in Christ. We've got to look at how we've been forgiven in Christ. In Luke 7, there's this picture of Jesus is at this dinner with Pharisees, and the Pharisees have prepared a dinner. They've invited him there, so there's a level of honor the Pharisees have given him. But a sinful woman comes in and begins to anoint Jesus' feet with oil and kisses his feet and it's making us, she's making a scene. And the Pharisees are like, if Jesus knew who this woman was, she, he wouldn't let her do that. But Jesus says, you know what? Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And he gave this imagery of like, do you think the one who's been forgiven little will love more than the one who's been forgiven much. No, the one who's been forgiven much will love more. And just making this connection, Timothy Keller in his book on forgiveness, he says this, the sign that you have been forgiven is a heightened capacity for love, for gift giving, and for forgiving others. A lack of any sense of being forgiven leads to a lesser ability or an inability to extend grace or grant forgiveness to others. We have to see the cross and we have to see ourselves. What have we been forgiven? What are the sins? What are the thoughts? What are the postures of our heart? What are the things that God has forgiven us for? 
You know, that is the true source of how we can put off these things and begin to forgive other people. So in summary, we want to learn to walk with Jesus in our speech. We want to learn to walk with Jesus in relationship with the Holy Spirit. We want to learn to walk with Jesus in forgiveness. Um, Just going back to that picture of me walking with my daughter up to the school, uh, Ellis, I just feel like what I want us to take time to respond in, just saying, one, Lord, where are you calling me with conviction to repent, to put off, and to put on? And I want to hold your hand and walk with you. And last week I said, you know, turn to your neighbor and say, repentance is not a shameful thing. Well, this week I want us to turn to our neighbor and say, conviction is a gift. Okay? So say, conviction is a gift. Conviction is a gift. It's a gift. It's being parented. It's being fathered. It's being loved. Like, he wants to walk us in these areas, church. So I want to invite the band to come on up, and I want to have us respond. And I'm going to reread this scripture, and I want you just to say, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me? What do you have for me in this area? Reread the scripture of 29 through 32. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And as I was walking Ellis in to meet the teacher, the cool thing was is that it wasn't just me and her. Like as we walked into the school, we actually ran into several of her friends. We ran into the Tapies, we ran into the Fisher family, we ran into uh, Matt Sutherland and his son Jackson. And it was just this beautiful picture of, yes, I'm walking with God myself, but like she's walking with me right now into the school, but she's not alone. Like God's given her other friends, other community, other people to be a light in the school with. And I just think that's a picture as we go into the world, as we go into our week, that you're not alone and we have to lean in and walk together. And so we're gonna have our prayer team up here. And I just say, if you need prayer for anything in this area, maybe you're saying, I need the love of God just to penetrate my heart more. Or I need, I was convicted that I feel like I need courage to speak up in my workplace, or I need to repent, or anything else. Just say, why not come and get prayer from a brother or sister to speak grace over your situation? So I'm going to pray. Just invite you to stand and respond in whatever way you feel led by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you, God, for this word. God, thank you for the church. God, I thank you that it's your heart to father us through life and that you want us to walk with the Holy Spirit, that you've sealed us, you've called us. I just pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, that they would believe today. God, that they would put their trust in you and take a step, that you would seal them with the promised Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that whatever you want to do, we just say, come and have your way in this place. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.